Daniel chapter 4, please. Now, last week we simply entitled it, Leave the Stump. Leave the Stump. And we looked a little at it, but not too much. But we looked at the problem behind Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. This morning we're going to look at Leave the Stump, part 2. Again, I was very, very uh, close to... uh, putting online for the advertisement of this, calling it not leave the stump, but because the stump grows, will grow again, Stumpy's return. And I thought, it might just seem a wee bit like, what what is he on this morning? And, you know, we want to look at it. Now, last week, if you missed it, we're not going to really touch on it that much because we need to move on from it. And it's completely different this morning. But rather what we've seen was in Daniel 4, verses 1 to uh, 4, We've seen that Nebuchadnezzar was the king in Babylon and that God had placed them there, look at verse 2, and I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. And the wonderful thing about this is he's glorifying the Lord. This is a heathen, by the way, non-Israelite. Notice verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. And we looked at it, how things were great for Nebuchadnezzar. And then verse 5, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So now here we find that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream from the Lord. And of course, we know what we looked at last week. Nebuchadnezzar was full of pride and puffed up. He doesn't take heed to the dream that he was given. He doesn't take heed to what God had said to him. And so God gives him this dream. He has it interpreted and nothing happens. And if you let your eye run down the chapter. And verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. That is the dream that that we'll look at it this morning. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon? Notice that I have built for the house of the kingdom of the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. All about me. I did this. I did this. And so we know how that pride filled his heart. The dream from here on comes to pass. And it's until we get down the very chapter again. Notice what he says in verse 34. And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto the heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. Isn't it good that we have understanding that returns to us? Uh, but rather, would it not be better if we listened to the word of God and obeyed it from the start? To obey is, what does the word say? Better than sacrifice. And to hearken on the fat of rams. To obey what God has told us now this morning. To obey what the Lord has told us in his word this week when you've been reading. To obey him now is better than sacrifice. In other words, if he had had have obeyed the Lord, who knows what would have been restrained from him. And to hearken or to listen to God is better than the fat of rams. We can say, Lord, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And we all do it, don't we, at times? We all do it. We all have this uh, way about us that we, 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 we know what God wants us to do or we know what God wants us to, 
to yield over to him or to give up. And, and we hang on to it and we cling on to it. And, and at times we just hold it as if it's all ours. It's all our doing. And yet when we release it into God's hand, what we're saying is I'm not going to hang on to it because I think I can do it better. But I know you can, Lord, and trust you even when it looks like it's getting worse. So if something's getting worse and God has told you, you hang on to what God has said. You lean on it, on him and not to your own understanding, trusting in him. Notice here, so when he comes to himself, we're told that verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and as well as judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So what did we learn last week from, we looked at uh, when pride cometh then shame. And listen, that could be in all of our lives at certain points. It could be the parade that happened yesterday in Belfast. We can look at that, but we need to look at our own lives too. You know, we looked at uh, uh, Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we can look at it and say, well, I've done all this by myself. Or, I know you did it, Lord, but I've really done the most of it. Everything that we have. For example, in James chapter 1, and in verse 17, we're told every good gift and perfect gift is from, where's it from? And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The idea of that neither variableness, he's the Lord who changes not. And neither shadow of turning is this, that is that, for example, the sun shines. If you were living in my house and you called to my house in the morning, don't call too early, but if you called in the morning, and even if it was near 11 o'clock, you'll find my blinds are probably closed in the summer. It's not that I'm in bed. <laughs> it's that the sun beams right through and it has actually bleached our, our furniture that I had to get a new sofa, new settee and chairs, bleached it was brown and the corners of it turned green. And the carpet, you know, bleaches the carpet and so on. So we keep it closed now uh, so that when that sun and its strength won't shine through. But it moves over. And while it's on the front, it's shady at the back. And then in the afternoon, it's shady at the front and it's out the back. And so uh, that's the shadow of turning. But with the Lord, there is no shadow of turning. The idea of it is, is that God's word is forever settled in heaven. God's word will remain forever. And God's word to you will be the same. God will not speak and his word return unto him void. But everything that the Lord says, speaks now that the Lord says. Not what men say. But what the Lord says will not return unto him void. So when God gives you his word, you can believe God. You can believe him for all that he has said. So in chapter 4 here and verse 31 it says that shows the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar while the word was in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, thy kingdom is departed from thee. So Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to learn the lesson and the kingdom is departed from you. Here's something to remind ourselves of. In Psalm 101 and verse 1, Psalm 101, verse 1. It's a psalm of David, and David says, I will sing of mercy and judgment. 
Now, here's the honest truth. In all the songs that we sing, it's good we always have Christ-centered worship. And we, 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 we strive that our worship is never about us because we deserve nothing of worship. But always Christ-centric. And we also like to sing about the blessings of the Lord and what the Lord is, who the Lord is and what the Lord does. We love all of that, but how, how often do we sing about his judgments? Think about this. And yet the psalmist says, I will sing of mercy on judgment. How many, how many courses do we get nowadays, especially, uh, or, or songs coming out and we're singing, oh God, you're wonderful, you're great, for your judgment is coming to destroy the earth. <laughs> how many have you heard? Your judgments are great and all the earth, you don't hear it. Yet the psalmist says, I'll sing of mercy and judgment. And it's not only that we know God is love, it's an attribute, it's his personality. God is love, but love is not all that God is. God is so much more than that. And he says, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 15, notice what it says. We're going to look at this more in depth in a moment. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth. Verse 23. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass. And then in verse 26, And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the trees. Notice, here is the judgment. To, who would sing about that? Well, what is this tree? What is this stump? And what does it mean? Okay, let's look at it. But first of all, verse 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do root. So here's judgment and then here's mercy. God's not finished with you. Okay. For example, in Job chapter 14 and verses 7 to 9. You can turn it over or you can listen while I read it. Job chapter 14, verse 7. Why would God give a dream of a tree stump and leave it, the roots? Why not just take it right out? And if it's a, a tree stump, what is the hope of it? Now, let's move away from whether it's about pride, because we all have a touch of that at times. Pride might be when we think that we are all right and we can do things all on our own at times when we know we can't. When we know the Lord needs to intervene and get involved and we, we look for him. And he's not there, so we don't pursue anymore. And we think, well, I can do this on my own. Job chapter 14, listen to what Job says. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. And the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, the stalk thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. In other words, while there's any form or measure of life, there is hope. And yet even in this, 
we find that when we enter the ground, out of death will come life at the resurrection when Christ returns. But notice what Job is heading to here. Verse 10. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man give up the ghost and where is he? So the idea in conjunction with verse 10, here's what Job is saying. Here's what he's saying. Like you might have a little bit of breath in your life. And your life might be like a tree cut down. And there might be like a stump or even to the roots. Why there's any life, water can touch it and bring forth life again. In other words, there's always hope where there's any form of life. And brothers and sisters, the idea of this is, is for you and me, no matter what way our life has went, there's times, whether it be times of sickness and we're tired and we're weary, we're worn down, of worry and stress and depressed and all of these things that come upon us, anxieties and frights and fears and all of those things. Maybe there's things that's come on as we think we'll never be the same again. Mourning and, and all of these things that, 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 that attack us, that come into our lives, that, that assail us. We feel like the stump. Job says, even if you're cut down to a stump or the root, when the water touches where there's life, there's hope. And there's many who've taken their lives tragically and terribly and sadly that have taken their own lives because they have felt there is no hope. And there's nothing left for me. There's nothing else for me. And, uh, and there, this world doesn't, you know, is better off without me. And listen, uh, because we know we're going live and people, many, many people watch this later on. And if maybe someone's here or watching this here, that's a lie. Don't listen to that because why there's life, there's hope that your life can change. That we're the Spirit of God is and we give our lives and ourselves unto Christ. That even no matter how low, how anxious, how down, how weary, how beset that we are. No matter we feel like we're cut down to the ground. There's always life. Then there's always hope. And there's hope for you. And there's life for you. There's men in ministry. And they've been cut down to size. They've been cut down with a fault. There's no, I, I could, couldn't tell you many axes have been upon my back and my neck. You know, discarded and people not wanting you. People against you and all of these things. And you feel cut down, as it were, to say. Cut down where you're like a stump on the ground. Listen, I want to tell you, God's not finished with you yet, brother, sister. Do you hear that? God's not done in your life. God hasn't said it's over. And it doesn't matter where you're down to a stump or the roots in the ground, where the water of the Spirit and the Word are, there will always be life. Always hope for you in Him. Notice this. When a man dies and wastes away, man gives up the ghost, where is he? We sang it, and say, should the death do, or when the death do, lie cold on my brow. If ever I've loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. And when man gives up the ghost or dies, where is he? It's then that things are too late. Are you saved? Have you made your calling and election Sure. People have said, I've made my peace with God. That's good. What does that mean? If that means you're saved, then that's good. If that's what you mean by that, that's fantastic. And, and in this life that we walk with, this, this journey that we're all on until either we're taken or Christ comes again, it's not only peace with God, this journey we need peace of God. 
peace of God. Many Christians don't have peace of God. Peace with God. Oh, I, you're saved. But they, see, they, they, they seemingly seem to lose the peace of God. I've lost it at times. You know what that is? Either we haven't realized what it is and learned it and walked in it, or we have and we have put the pride back in our lives and that peace leaves us. Not he leaves us. So what's the difference, peace with God, peace of God? Peace with God is when you were saved. Peace of God is learning that when you're walking with him as a saved man and a saved woman, is that you're learning to walk with him and placing all in his hands. Trust in the Lord with, what is it? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not on to thine. Say it again, thine. In. In many ways, church. All thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And everything. And you see, the problem is, we look at what's going on around us. We see what's happening in our society, in our nation, in the world. We look at what's going on. And it just drives us nuts, doesn't it? It seems to tear us down, disillusion us, discourage us. Who's going to be honest this morning? Come on, isn't that right? Be honest before God this morning. But when we step back, we realize, Lord, I can't control all of this because I'm not God. And here's what we do is we leave that with God who is in control and trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We're not leaning on to our own understanding of what we see or what's come into our lives or what's attacked us or assailed us, what's said to us or about us, but we leave it all with him and and we don't lean on our own understanding because there's things we just can't work out. And you're going to try and work it out and you're going to end up, you know, you'll be climbing the walls. Lean out onto our own understanding. And so what happens is, really, in a sense, what we're doing is we're taking it out of God's hands, even like a sense in Nebuchadnezzar. Look what I have done. Only we're saying, not look what I have done, but look what I can do. And we can't because sometimes we're carrying things that God didn't give us. We're carrying things that the Lord didn't have for us at the, at, from the start. Listen, I told you before. I have to re- learn and then relearn and then remember and then relearn it again. And sometimes God puts me through the ringer, brings me to the woodshed and gets out the two before and gives me a good crack with it until I do. It's called chastisement. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he just loves me the whole way through. He always loves me. I know that because he has chose to. But as a sense is he loves me in a certain way where not only in chastisement does he love me, but he loves me where he'll love me through the situation. And I have to learn and relearn. Alison would have said, uh, well, mostly a lot of years ago, she used to say, Ken, you walk around and round the mountain. And the Lord's saying, you're walking around and round the mountain, and it's over there, the promised land's over there. You keep walking around and round the mountain. Thankfully, I'm not, as, I'm not a mountaineer as much as I used to be. But we have to learn it. There's things I have to learn over oh, until we learn. Nebuchadnezzar says, until I understood. Nebuchadnezzar, he, he says, I had to understand that this is not in my charge. What am I doing? I'm saying that I can do this. 
I used to be petrified, petrified of flying. I still don't like it. It bores the life out of all of us, I know, but I, I just, I, I'll go and I'll, I'll just go, but I used to be petrified of it. See, I'd flew over once to England and once back, just before, before I'd met Alison in my whole life. And I flew over to, to Manchester to get on the, on the plane to get there, and I was going over to fight for the British title over there. And when I flew over, just that short journey over, this is now, this is quite a long time ago, and whenever I flew over there, by the time I just got over the other side, never flown before, I was fit for nothing. I, I could hardly walk, my legs were like jelly, I'm fighting that night too. And the next morning, I was stayed overnight, had the fight, I lost it, but anyway, we, we, we f- I flew back, up, back over and I went, I will never be on a plane again. Scared the life out of me. Never, ever, ever again. The next time I'm going to get on an aeroplane is when? Alice and I go on a honeymoon. So I get onto the tarmac. This is the truth. I get onto the tarmac and there's the plane. And I'm walking toward it and I freeze. And Alison says, what's wrong? I went, sorry, I can't do this. We're just smiling. She goes, what do you mean you can't do this? You know, but you mean marriage like her? <laughs> you mean, or, or, or we've, only, we've only got married? And I went, I can't get on that. She's going, Kim, please don't do this. <laughs> we're, we're, this is our honeymoon. I was thinking, Portrush sounds good. <laughs> you know, it's never sounded so good. We were going to Grand Canaria. I'd never been away foreign either because I wouldn't get on a plane. And I says, right, and well, she, she, gave me, she gave me a travel cam. And I managed to get me on the plane and I sort of dozed the whole way over on the plane. <laughs> and even after that, times I went, whether I was going to even preaching or whatever, I was still afraid to get on the plane. Remember, my pastor, Pastor McConnell, used to say, I don't understand you, boys. You preachers are afraid to get on an airplane. I don't understand you. And I was going, you're afraid to get into a lift. <laughs> So he is. And, and it used to hit me, why am I afraid? And one time I was going with another pastor. We were on a plane. And I was, again, any turbulence I'm sitting on. And I go less and go, I'm on a bus. I'm on a bus. I'm on a bus. That's the truth. I'm on a bus. Focus in my mind. I'm on a bus. And part of me is going, Lord, get me out of this place. But I mean, in the plane down safely. And you're trying to tell the Lord how to do it. One time we were sitting talking this out with this other pastor and he said, you know what's wrong with you? And I didn't like it, but it was true. You know what's wrong with you? I said, what? He says, you just think you're in control. What do you mean? You think you're in control. And so you get on a plane because you're not in control and someone else says, you are afraid. You don't like it. He was right. He said, do you think those pilots and all those are stewards in the tents? They don't want to go home to their families. Of course they do. But the problem is, he says, what if the pilot says, come you then and fly this for me? See, you, you, you're not in control. And what he said to me was this. That's pride. You're taking it out of your hands and putting fear in. You're taking their trust out of of God's hands, as it were, for your life and putting fear in. You're saying, I can do this, and you're trying to hold on to it. He was right. 
When I learned that, I yielded that to the Lord. It took me a bit more talking because he said, look, I go and I'm not worried. If the Lord takes me, he takes me, but he's got work for me to do, so I'm trusting I'm going to be all right, especially when I'm going to preach. I said, yeah, I'm sitting beside you. I said, but knowing me, I said, the plane will go down and you'd survive and I'd die. <laughs> Come on, whose mind thinks they got at times? Or is that just me? <laughs> Alison's probably going, no, that's just you, Ken. Yeah. But do you see what I mean? There's things in our lives we can't change, we can't control. And because we can't, we're overly, overtly afraid. Listen, brother, sister, you leave it into the hands of God. I have learned and learned, and every now and again, I go around that mountain, and I think about the church here, and I think about the work and what needs done and who hasn't been seen, and, and I'll be talking to you in September about a, a couple of things that I'm thinking of, and, and maybe you know, even about getting out to see some of you who haven't had visits and so on. Listen, all of that stuff, and I'm thinking it's going around my head, and I'm trying to hold on to it, Tell them in the place where the Lord says, leave it in my hands. Come on to me, all you who labor and are heavy, and I will give you, give you what? Rest. I'll give you a rest. And the relief of that. Notice here, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. I'm going to do one more morning on this because I went off kilter there. Notice this. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he needs to learn. And the dream's about him. The dream's about him. Daniel 4. Daniel 4. And just let your eye run down. He has the dream, verse 5. He gets Daniel to come, verse 8. And the magicians, as it were, and nobody can interpret. Daniel comes, he interprets this dream for him. If you just let your eye run down to verse 10. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. Whose mind runs amok with them whenever they're in bed? Nearly all of us. Except for probably my wife and her dad. (laughs) We were talking about this during the week. And they put their head in the pillow and say, good night. Away they go. And I'm laying like my eyes, two clocks looking at the ceiling. Notice this. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. Notice where it is in the midst of the earth. And the height thereof was great. And the tree grew and was strong. And the height thereof reached unto the heaven. And the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair. And the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Thus hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and in, tender gra- in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from a man's. And let 
a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the man by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men, kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the base of men. This is this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Now the holy gods, he's really meaning, he knows there's something about Nebuchadnezzar that he just can't place his finger on. It's the Holy Spirit. And Daniel, pardon me, and Daniel Nebuchadnezzar reckons that. And what's he saying here? Notice, he says, here's what the Lord told me. And he wondered that his heart was troubled and he was afraid. Remember Daniel chapter 2, he had the dream of the man with the golden head and the chest of arms and silver and the belly of brass and the legs of iron and the iron and clay. Remember, and this is important, why would God bless a heathen king? And God's people are in captivity. Do you ever wonder why that happens in the world even? Because I told you last week, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, chapters 16, 17, and 18, we see Babylon as a worldwide system. And it's going to crash down. So Babylon had to last. But because Babylon's thinking here, Nebuchadnezzar, with the rest of them, until it's his grandson, Belshazzar, in chapter 5, comes into play and has the, the handwriting on the wall, until all of that happens, God has to keep him in line. What's God saying? I'm in charge. What's God saying? I'm sovereign. What's God saying? There's a plan to show my glory that men will know that it's not the Babylonian system in the world today, that church, you and I, that we will know when we look at this, we look at prophecy, when we look at all of these things that are coming to pass all around us, in our world, and with ecclesiastical things that are happening, and the the governmental systems and like of the European Union and the one world government and the new world order, all that Babylonian system, the, the monetary banking system and the cartels and the banking families, and we see all of that happening in our world. God says, I'm going to show you here and they're going to know there that I'm still God on the earth. I'm the Lord who sets up. That the, go- that, that the governments that we see today, they're not in charge. They're not in charge in Westminster. They're not in charge in Washington. They're not in charge in in Paris or Brussels or Berlin or Strasbourg. They're not in charge. All that Babylonian system, they're not in charge. Do you know who's in charge? Our God is in charge. He's still on the throne. And all of these things that we see in our land that's attacking our culture, that's attacking us, that we're trying to tear down our faith, our biblical heritage from Israelite heritage right through to our Christian heritage that's trying to tear it down. God says, don't you fear. Lean not on your own understanding. You trust in me. I'm still on the throne. I'm still on the throne. God blessed him here because God had a plan. The ungodly are not ruling over. God is still on the throne. I'm going to round this up and close this. I'm going to do part three in the Lord's will next week. I notice this. There's a seven times that has been mentioned here. 
And it's mentioned again in verse 23. Whereas the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it. Leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. Notice seven times. So what the Lord is saying here, he's given a time scale for this to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Now we know with hindsight, Nebuchadnezzar's looking, what is this dream? It's scaring me. But a year later, he still hadn't done anything with his life. In fact, it get worse. God says, this is going to happen. Yeah, I know, it's, it's really touched my heart today. But we do nothing with it. Nothing's done about it. Nebuchadnezzar did the same. And what we find here is that the Lord not only warns him, but he gives him a time scale seven times. Now, this is for another study. But if you've heard seven times, you've heard me preach before on a seven times, isn't that right? A few times on it. Because it's an important biblical scale. This is not the same scale, but the seven times, it's very similar only. So a time is, say, about 360. One time, 360. Seven times is 2,520. Seven times. So seven times 360, 2,520. There's also the, 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 the scale of, and prophecy of, and you can read it when you go home, Leviticus chapter 26, and God said, if Israel walked contrary to, unto, them, unto him, he would walk contrary unto them, and he would punish them seven times times more for their sins. The seven times is 2,520. And from the carrying away of the house of Israel in the north, around 721 BC, we, we, count, we count the 2,520. We find that that time of their carrying away is 1776, putting one for the AD, BC to AD, adding one. And 1776 is when we had the 13 seaboard colonies of the of the United States of America, the great nation starting to build up. And then in Judah, the southern kingdom carried away to Babylon, roughly around, there's a couple of different deportations now, but carrying away, you're talking about 645 BC. 645 BC, I got my numbers right, I think. And then it finishes when? 1917. What happened in 1917? General Allenby liberated Jerusalem from their seven times punishment. General Allenby liberated not only Jerusalem, but as planes, the bi-wing aeroplanes flying over, and Isaiah 31 and 5, as birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. And read that when you go home. End of their captivity here, or their seven times punishment here, in our reading, they're in that seven times punishment. So now there's a seven times punishment for Nebuchadnezzar. But it's not a day for a year, as the other scale is. It's a literal day. So it's 2,520 days this will happen. Seven literal years. Is everybody with me okay? So this is a seven literal years. And after seven literal years, we find in Daniel chapter 4, and if you let your eye run down to verse 34, at the end of the days. Notice that in verse 34, at the end of the days. What days? Seven times days, 2,500 
20 days, 2,520 days were over. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned unto me. Can you see the likeness here now? So there's more to this than meets the eye. So here's what I'm saying. Everything in your life, every period, every portion, no matter what comes and goes in your life, it's not forever, brothers and sisters. Only Christ and his kingdom is. To everything there is a, what's the word? Season. And a time to every purpose under the, see? to everything there's a season. What are you going through? I feel like I'm the stump. It's going to last only for a season. I feel I'm going through a hard time. It's just for a season. Just for a season. You're not going to stay there. God will bring you out. God will bring you through. God will grow you again. There's always, God is known as the God of the second chance. But really he's the God of a million, billion chances, isn't he? Jesus says, if your brother sinned against you, you're to forgive him 70 times seven. Isn't that right? Do you know there's more to that? Meets the I'll teach on that too. There's prophecy there. What is that? Daniel 9. 70 weeks of Daniel. 70 weeks of years. There's prophecy there. When they sinned against God and Christ says, we'll forgive you after this. So you're going through how you feel, what you're thinking, the trouble in your mind. You're giving it to God because this is only a season and God is saying, leave the stump. Do you know the devil can't touch you unless your father allows him? Who knows that? How do you know that? How do you know that? Because somebody told you. Well, the Bible tells you. The Lord Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, they may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And the idea is, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, is Simon, Simon, Satan hath already obtained you by asking. Why would God allow that? Because Simon Peter needed the dross taken out of him. Why does God allow things in our lives that we don't like or is hard for us? Because there's things in our lives that need to be burnt out. There's tests uh, of faith. And your faith is more precious than gold going through the fire. And every test you go through and you trust in the Lord in it, you know what happens? It purifies the gold. It purifies like seven times through the furnace. You're being purified and purified and your faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And some seasons are long, some seasons are short, but there are, everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. I don't know what time you're in, and maybe you feel like the stump. Well, the Lord says, leave a band of iron and brass around him. Leave a band of iron and brass around her. What does that mean? I'll tell you next week in the Lord's will. I'll tell you next week in his will. You know what he's saying? Thus far and no further. Remember Job? Satan had to come and even ask permission. Can he touch Job? Thus far, the Lord said no further. May God bless his word to us this morning. Encourage you in the faith this morning. 
for Jesus' sake. Amen.